Hey, Pete. Yeah? Did I tell you about this giveaway that we're doing? We've got a giveaway? We have a giveaway! I love giveaways! <laughs> What's it for? Well, it's all about this super fun movie that's coming out. It's the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. Join SpongeBob SquarePants, his best friend Patrick, and the Bikini Bottom gang in their most epic adventure yet. On a heroic and hilarious mission to save SpongeBob's pet snail, the pals realize nothing is stronger than the power of friendship. Stay tuned. After the movie, there's an all-new SpongeBob mini-movie. Stream the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run, instantly on Redbox On Demand today. It's also streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's rated PG, and it's from Paramount Pictures. The movie stars the amazing voice cast of SpongeBob and special cameos by Keanu Reeves, Snoop Dogg, Danny Trejo, Aquafina, and more. So here's the giveaway. We were given five digital codes for the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. If you'd like to watch the movie for free, this is how you can enter. One, make sure you're following us on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. Two, like our post about the SpongeBob movie. And three, Send us a screenshot proving that you've listened to this episode of our podcast, or you can do a screen recording of you subscribing, rating us with five stars, or leaving a super nice review. You'll receive a bonus entry for each of those that you do. Winners will be chosen and notified by Saturday, March the 13th. Good luck, everyone. Good luck. It's all happening. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? Very nice. Now you insert your quirky Fight Club quote. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could have seen his face. It kind of made me want to hit him. Oh, well, I mean, I was asking. Not really. Oh. (laughs) So, hi. Hi. How's everybody doing? Well, I know I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Sweet. And I hope everyone else is, too. <laughs> Sorry, that's probably a little too cheery for some of you. Everything is awesome. Oh, no, that song's going to be <laughs> in my head. Somebody quick. <laughs> Slap that guy. He just asked for it. Get the earworm out. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. What are we doing? Well, we've been talking about magazines a lot on our Instagram page. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you had any magazines. I don't know if that was just kind of a girly thing to do. Or did you have magazines you were subscribed to or that you bought a lot so in the 90s? Early 90s, it would have been Nintendo Power. Oh, okay. That was where you got all your Nintendo-related video game news, cheat codes, Ooh. early walkthroughs of games if they were in there. So it was a, a great source of information pre-internet. Nice. Now, late 90s, I started to get into ESPN the magazine. Okay. That used to be my magazine of choice while riding on an airplane. I think I had a subscription when it first came out, and then I let that lapse, and then I would only get it when I'd be on an airplane. Okay. I have magazines like that. Yeah. That I only get when I'm... Well, these days, I really only... You know, normally, I only look at magazines when I'm flying. Right. Also, it's usually like the... (laughs) The trashy, no offense, Us Weekly or... uh, What's the other one? Not people, right? People. Well, not really people's like, not. It's different. Yeah. Although it may be like that now. I'm not sure. 
But anyway, those kind of magazines that I used to probably have a subscription to. It's funny, like the things I watch on YouTube are like my new magazines because (laughs) I love cars and like engineering stuff and space. It's great to say engineering and stuff after it, but (laughs) that's that's pretty much all that I watch on YouTube now. The one magazine you were talking about in our Halloween episode. Fangoria? Yeah. Was that when you were a kid more so? Like that in was the in, 80s? The, in the 80s and I didn't have a subscription to it because I would have gotten in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I used to go to the bookstore on the weekends and buy it. Okay. So for me, early 90s, it was still like the teeny bopper magazines like Bop, Big Bopper. Uh, <laughs> it was called Big Bopper? Yeah. Are you being serious? I am. It, there's a magazine called Big Bopper. There was. I That's don't think great. there is anymore. I love that. Teen Beat. Teen Beat, I've heard it's of. another one. Tiger Beat. Tiger Beat. Yeah. Yep. And I would also get Soap Opera Digest. Oh, really? Because I was into the soaps. My that sister was a small watched. one, right? Like smaller form yes. factor? Yeah. Yep. Usually my mom would grab one of those for me at the grocery store. Would she really? Yes. If I wasn't. I, well, let's really, usually I was with her at the grocery store and I would just get it, but. Yeah, that was definitely a grocery store purchase because it would always be there at the checkout. I think that they might still be there at the checkout. I just don't buy them anymore because I don't watch soaps anymore. They're still there. What was your soap du jour? Well, I watched the ABC soaps. So Which it was ones were those? Loving, All My Children, One Life to Live, General Hospital. I watched General Hospital for maybe four years. Yeah? In the late 90s. Only four years? Yes, then I stopped. I started early days. Well, actually... When I was younger and I would stay at our next door neighbor's house, their aunt would watch Days of Our Lives. Mm. And so I got to know those characters then. So I'm still familiar with them, like Billy and Austin and Marlena and Hope. Well, did General Hospital have like Sonny? Yes. And Brenda. Jason. Jason. The younger. Jax. Jax. And then like some girl who was... In movies sometimes and then on General Hospital as talking well. about Vanessa Marcel? She was Brenda. A little younger, brown hair. Is it her or are you talking about Robin? Remember Robin know. and Stone? Stone? Yeah. No, I don't remember that. So are you thinking of, of Robin? Or I do Brenda? Know. Yes, one of the two. Okay. That's all I remember from the show. Yeah, I watched back in the early days. Like, I feel like I remember Luke and Laura getting married, but that was like, hold on. <laughs> But that was 1981, so I don't think I do. <laughs> Maybe they would call Just back to kidding. it. Just kidding. They did. They always call back to it. And it, it was like one of the most famous TV weddings that people through the 80s always talked about. Luke yeah. and Laura. And I was watching when, because they had left the show and then they came back. It was oh. a whole thing. Maybe we should talk about soap operas at some time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a rabbit hole. <laughs> well, just the ones that we were familiar with. I mean, that's a lot of information because it's a lot of episodes. They're daily, right? Yes. Yeah. But I used to record them while I went to school and then watch them when I got home. Really? And I tried to watch them, the whole thing, when I got home because then I could just record over it the next day. I worked at Pizza Hut. I was an assistant manager and delivered pizzas. So I worked at night. So I would wake up and watch my soaps. (laughs) Maybe I watched other ones other than General Hospital, but I feel like that's the only one I remember. So I don't know if I watched any of the other ones. Yeah, I loved all the other ones, too. I remember Tad and Dixie on my children was one of the first times, aside from watching My Girl, that I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then also Megan, I think, on One Life to Live. I think that was 
a thing, which she actually ended up being on True Blood. Oh, did she really? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> that was a Sidebar. great section on magazines. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I know, right? I didn't even you get to. finish. I do. The other ones in the later 90s, it was 17, YM, Teen People, Cosmo, Cosmo Girl, Sassy, Jane. I mean, so many good ones. And you I've, had like magazine subscriptions to those or you would just buy them? I had subscriptions to 17 and YM for sure. Okay. And I think the others I would just buy at the store. Mm. But I loved them all and would read them from cover to cover and then cut out all the pictures that I liked and <laughs> tape them to my Put wall. Put them on your wall, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. They're so good. And I've been posting a lot of you know old covers and things like that that people seem to really be enjoying on our Instagram. So this week, we actually dipped into the 2000s. We did. It it's is like exactly 2000. Exactly 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but we've said, you know, early 2000s, we still, you know, are fine covering. It's just we don't want to get too close to current times. Yeah, but I mean, we, we had examples of things that started in like 2009. Right. Know, that feel nostalgic to us now. That's how many years? Some quick math would tell me that's uh, 12 years. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Um, Well, we were even talking about True Blood because that seems so recent because it's not that long ago that it ended, but they're already talking about doing a reboot. Yeah, they're rebooting it. Which I'm not too happy about. No? I would only be happy if it was the same actors playing the characters. I mean, who do you care about? I feel like there's two. Alexander Skarsgård and Anna Paquin. Oh, really? And Pam. And Jessica. I figured it'd be Stackhouse. You'd want Stackhouse <gasps> and on there. Stackhouse! Oh my and, God, how could I forget him? And Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. That's all that I feel like you'd really care about. Listen, I actually care about everyone except for Bill. Vampire Bill. Vampire Bill. Bill. But he's, sorry, never mind. No spoilers here unless we cover it. And then I might spoil <laughs> you. All right, what are we covering? I love how I named the actors' names and then I went into the characters. You did, yes. Sorry. If you watch, you know you know who I'm talking about. Well, I did the same thing. I said Stackhouse and Alexander Stanger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sure. consistency on this Sorry. podcast. Sorry. What are we talking about? What we're about to cover. <gasps> the year 2000. Yes. One of my all-time favorite movies. If I had to pick a top five favorite movies of all all time, no matter the year, this movie would be on it. It's almost famous. It's written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Incredible. It is the story of a teenage journalist who's writing for Rolling Stone in the early 70s. And he's touring with a rock band, Stillwater, which is a fictional band. And it's just following them on the road, all the interesting characters that he meets along the way while he's trying to calm his mother's worries at home and get his story published. And of course, it seems like everything is going against that actually happening. And he's like 15. Yeah, he's very young. He's 15. And it's accompanied by an amazing soundtrack. Yeah, it does have a great soundtrack based in the 70s, like you said. So... The hits of the days were very prevalent. And what's funny is it seems so absurd that a 15-year-old 
would be going on tour with a rock band. It does. You're like, that would never happen. And having all of these adventures and writing for Rolling Stone. But it did happen because it is loosely based on Cameron Crowe's story yeah. as a writer for Rolling Stone magazine when he was a young teenager. Crazy. So crazy. Absolutely. And I knew that. I knew that it was based on his life back when I watched it, but I had kind of forgotten, mm-hmm. you know? And so delving into it this time, watching it and then watching a lot of interviews with him about it was just almost like seeing it again for the first time. Yeah. And really how much cool. love and care he put into it. <sighs> Is amazing. And Listening it, to him still talk about it today, like yeah. in 20, well, it was 2020, 2020 yeah. was the last interview we saw, how much he just lives and breathes that movie. And he has been a part of a lot of great films, right? a lot of classic films, you know, now, but this, this I think is definitely the one for him, mm-hmm. but it's because it's his life. It is. You know? So he just cared and it showed. So great. So let's talk about the cast. We have Patrick Fugit, I think is how you say it. How would you say it? I would say Fugit, but very close to what you just said. So close enough for either of us. All right. He played William Miller, who was the journalist. Cameron Crowe. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, Michael Angarano played the younger William. Okay. Who was like there at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Billy Crudup as Russell Hammond. Francis McDormand. As Elaine Miller, Kate Hudson as the great Penny Lane, also known as Lady Goodman. (laughs) (laughs) We don't find that out until the end of the movie. Yep. Jason Lee as Jeff Beebe. Zoe Deschanel as Anita Miller, who's William's older sister. Anna Paquin, speaking of, we were just Mm -hmm. talking about her, as Polexia Aphrodisia. What a name. Uh, Feruza Balk as Sapphire. These names are so great, but they you know they're all like names that they made stage up. Stage yeah. names. Except they weren't on the stage. They no. were side stage names. Yeah. <laughs> Backstage names. Uh, Bijou Phillips as Estrella Star. Noah Taylor as Dick Roswell. He was the manager. Okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Or as they say, Phil Hoffman. Yeah, they were <coughs> calling him Phil. I'd never heard anybody call him Phil Hoffman before. Yeah. Um, as Lester Bangs. Who's also a real character. He's a real person, yeah. Like he's a real person. I yeah. didn't realize that Lester and Ben Fong Torres, who was uh, at Rolling Stone, played by Terry Chen in the movie, was also a real character. Yeah. I like that they just actually they just put him named in the real people. Mm-hmm. Jay. Jay Baruchel. Baruchel? Baruchel or Baruchel? <laughs> he was Vic... Munoz, who was like the super fan and actually based on another one they showed us an yeah. actual person that Cameron knew in the day. Jimmy Fallon as Dennis Hope mm-hmm. and Rain Wilson as David Felton. So like I said, it, it's semi-autobiographical. So it's based on Cameron's experiences as he toured with bands like the Almond Brothers Band, Led Zeppelin, Eagles, and Leonard Skinner. That's crazy that he was traveling around with them. That's awesome. I know. He has said that During this period, he lost his virginity. He fell in love. He met his musical heroes, which is basically everything that happens to William in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Some interesting things that I learned thanks to Wikipedia is that Stillwater was the name of a real band that was signed to Macon, Georgia's Capricorn Records label. So the film's producers had to obtain permission. To use that name? Yeah. I wonder what the music of the actual Stillwater was like. Yeah, I don't know. We should look it up. Such a great name, though. 
And you're like, wow, I'd never heard of Stillwater. That would have been a cool band name. And it was. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, also, did you know that Crow used to be married to Nancy Wilson of Heart? Oh, really? No, I yeah, didn't know I that. Yeah, I didn't know that. But together, they co-wrote three of the five Stillwater songs that we hear in the film. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Frampton wrote the other two. Oh, did he really? Yeah. That's great. And then Mike McCready of Pearl Jam played lead guitar on all of the Stillwater songs. Oh, that is awesome. Isn't that so yes. fun? Another thing, we actually learned this when we were watching some of the interviews on YouTube last night, but Russell Hammond was originally going to be Brad Pitt. Yeah, that is so crazy. It's such like a not fit. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, apparently it wasn't. I guess that Crow and Pitt mutually decided that it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. And Pitt dropped out. So I wonder if it was like creative differences or I I mean, I don't know. I feel like Brad Pitt can play anything. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what, maybe he just didn't get the character, but I feel like that version of Russell Hammond is probably exactly what Cameron Crowe wanted. And either Brad couldn't do it or wanted to do it a different way, like you're saying. Yeah. I'd be very curious to know what caused it to be not the right fit. You know, what's funny is that in 2000, he would have been coming right off of... Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We say that as if they haven't read the title of the episode before they listen. (laughs) (laughs) So with Brad in mind, that's where Cameron wrote, I am a golden god (laughs) in the whole pool jumping sequence. And then there's like a bunch of references to Russell being unusually good looking. Mm -hmm. And that was all meant for Brad, but just remained in the script. But I mean, to me, I always found Billy Crudup to be... Extremely good looking. So he's a good looking dude. I yeah. mean, he's not Brad Pitt level, but you know. No, but you know, who is? Who is? <laughs> but I loved Billy back then and like inventing the Abbots. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so something else that I didn't actually realize is that the character of Penny Lane was based on the real life of Penny Lane Trumbull and her group of female promoters who called themselves the Flying Garter Girls Group. They basically just decided they were going to start promoting bands, and they really they were like socialites. Uh-huh. It was Penny, and then supposedly he also had Pamela DeBar, and I don't know if it's Bebe or, or BB Buell. But I looked them up, and you know, in the 70s, they were hot babes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he didn't do a lot of work to hide Penny Lane's character name no and they well they agreed that he would change the spelling of it oh really so he did he changed you know because the original penny is ie he just put a y on kate's character so the character of william's mother played by francis mcdormand was based on crow's own mother who was on set a lot uh just to keep an eye on him while he was working so it it makes me feel like she was you know that like even more like overprotective yeah yeah well overprotective, quote unquote, like this is a 15 year old with right rock band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any parent would be freaking out about that. The fact that she actually agreed to let him yes. go. That's the is thing. a big deal. But we know we talked about this. I think she learned her lesson from pushing her daughter away. Yeah. Who moved away to become a flight attendant. I mean, I think a lot of it was because the mom was so overbearing. Yes. You know, uh, and have so many rules and everything. I'm surprised she would have said yes to it, but I'm glad she did. But she had her rules in place. Yeah. You know, and that he had to be back. He could only miss one test. And don't take drugs. (laughs) So I thought you might be interested to know this. Allison Chain's guitarist, 
and vocalist Jerry Cantrell was Crow's first choice in the role of Stillwater bass player Larry Fellows. I can see that, like in the character that they picked Uh or in the actor that they picked versus Jerry Cantrell. That's cool. Well, and because he had been, Cantrell is friends with Crow and had been in two of his films directed by him, Singles and Jerry Maguire. Oh. But he was busy writing songs for his solo album, Degradation Trip. Couldn't take a quick break. Couldn't take like a, a break. five month break. Come to on, be a bro. part of Almost Famous. Sheesh. He didn't really have a lot of lines. Yeah. That character. Yeah, but it would have been cool that he was back there. And you think about the album covers they created; it'll look really cool on there. Yeah. So one of the stories that Cameron told in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine that he did this past year, but it was all just like you could tell it was early days in quarantine. Yes. And he was just talking to a camera by himself about Almost Famous. He was pulling out props and, and memorabilia from the movie. And he was telling the story of being on the road or, you know, his first cover was the Almond Brothers Band. Mm-hmm. And he's telling a story about being on tour with them this whole time and how he had never gotten an interview with Greg, which is like Russell. Yep. Just like Russell. And right at the end, right before Cameron's getting ready to go home because he has something he has to do with school, Greg says, you know, come to my room. Let's do that interview. And it's like he opens up. He talks about his brother who was in the band who passed away. You know, it's just a lot of great information. And Cameron has it all on tape, goes back to his room. He's getting ready to leave. And then a few minutes later, gets a call where Greg wants him to come back to the room and bring his tapes and bring his ID. Bring his ID as well. He's just like, "Uh oh, what's going on here? And then he goes, how do we know you're not a cop? Which is a line from the movie. Yeah. They use that. I mean, they weren't as accusatory as Cameron made it sound like Greg was. Yeah, he said he was probably in a bit of a paranoid state. Yes, he said he was like all sweaty. Yes. He just felt like he had said too much. And I'm sure, you know, in a place of grief and who knows what he may have been on. I don't know. Yeah, no telling. He took all his tapes. He took all his tapes except for one, which had like him performing. Oh, yeah, that's right. What was that? I don't remember. It was a, a song by another band yeah. that he had performed, and he was like, I could not part with that. Yeah. So I don't know if he just snuck it in his pocket or something, but he gave him all his interview tapes, and then he was just sick to his stomach because he's like, I have to go home and then report to Rolling Stone, and what am I going to do? Yeah, I got nothing. And so there was another guy that was there. I think it was the photographer. Yes, it was the photographer. That was there on tour with him, and he said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to get your tapes back. And Cameron goes home. A little while later, he gets a call and he got his tapes back. And Greg was like, I don't even know why I have these. Do I have these? (laughs) (laughs) And he gave them back. That same photographer took photos for Almost Famous on the set, too. I noticed as we were watching the special with Cameron Crowe, he put up a few photos from the set that had that same photographer's name on it. That's so great. I'm glad. escaping me right now. I'm so glad that he did that. Yeah. I think his name was Neil. Yes, it was. But it's just so funny because they say like, oh, it's loosely based. But it sounded like there was a lot that happened to Cameron in real life. You know, that obviously he he changed a little, tweaked it here and there to make it a little more cinematic. Sure. Even the airplane malfunction towards the end of the movie is like a thinly veiled reference to the Leonard Skinner crash in 77. Oh, man, that is crazy. I know. But I I mean, obviously, like, that's why he loves it so much. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, even it's quote unquote loosely based in my mind. Right. And I think if it's not from his life, it's from stories that other people in that same industry have told him yeah. and shared with him because there were a few different things he was talking about that was like this person's story right. and that person's story. Mm-hmm. It's also intriguing to me. I always wanted to be a band aid. I know. Not a groupie. Right. A band aid. There's it's a just difference. Different. It's different. <laughs> you were close, I feel like. Something we watched last night was really cute. Yeah, I don't was. know how else to describe it. Cute and awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it was a conversation between Jimmy Fallon and Kate Hudson. I guess it was on Jimmy's show, it right? Was, yeah. But it was like the at-home stuff where they showed a clip of Jimmy playing a game on set with Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't see what the question was, but they both had to like give an answer because they were like looking at cards, I guess. Yep. And Margot's like, I don't have one. And Jimmy's like, Kate Hudson, because they, they're supposed to answer at the same, the same time. time, right? And Jimmy answers, Kate Hudson. And then Margo's like, well, you have to tell us what it what the question was. And he's like, you can tell he's instantly. Like, he got really, oh, crap. really embarrassed really quickly. Yes. And you could tell it was like genuine, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he finally ends up reading it. And it's like, who's someone that you worked with? That you felt like you could have dated, but you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) During this interview with Kate Hudson, he plays that. Yes. And he's like, I don't know if you saw it. She's like, well, like a million people sent it to me. So, of course, I saw it. Jimmy starts moving around very, very (laughs) uncomfortably. You can tell he is so uncomfortable. (laughs) And at this point, it's 20 years later. It is. They've both been, I mean, Kate's been like married twice and had kids. He's married and has kids. You know, it's obviously nothing is there. But I guess after the movie, they started hanging out all the time, like besties. And during that time, like he started having feelings for her. And she was just like, why didn't you ever say anything? And Why didn't you ever make a move? Yeah. And you know that even though he's married and has kids, he was he was like, <laughs> he was like, Kate Hudson. I can't believe she's saying this right yeah. now. Because she said that she even used to think like, oh, I, maybe he just doesn't think of me like that. She's like, Jimmy, if you would have, I would have been totally into it. Yeah. And then he starts like rolling around like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's so uncomfortable. It's so funny. It was such a real moment. It was, but it sounded like it came down to like a knife edge. Where she met Chris Robinson of the Black Crows. Chris Robinson. Who's her baby daddy. At the same time that Jimmy was literally about to ask her out. Yeah. He was like, hey, what are you doing tonight with the intention of asking her out? Right. And she's like, oh, I'm going out with Chris Robinson. Do you have any Black Crows? Do you got any Black Crows CDs? And he's just like, he's like, yeah, I got like three. I'm a big fan. I love the Black Crows. And he gave her, he's like, I got all of them. And and then he gave her three so she could listen to. Yeah. So she could like get into her new crush's music. <laughs> and she's like, well, now I got this 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, their son is 16. Yeah. Oh, that man. That was crazy to see. It was. It was really fun because, I mean, who knew? Obviously, even Kate didn't know until she didn't know. that game. Yep. So we also watched this 20-year anniversary Zoom call, basically. Yeah, it was on YouTube. With, it was a Rolling Stone magazine. Editor. Editor. And then some other guy who has a podcast. He has a podcast host. I can't remember his name. He looked really familiar to me. I don't know if. Did, yeah. I don't know what I've seen him on. But anyway, and then it was Cameron, Kate, 
Billy and Patrick, who yeah. played William, which was funny to see him because he's a lot older. You know, obviously he's 20 years older now, yep. but last time we saw him, he was like 16 years old. Yeah, so. he had a ponytail and a big old beard. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of gave me Josh Jackson vibes a little bit. He did, yeah. He's actually acted regularly, though. Yeah, I was looking at his IMDb just yeah. to see what he's what he's done. But it was really fun to watch that. It was a very good time. And it's something that I could have guessed anyway, but hearing them confirm like how magical it was on set and just the dynamic of that whole group. Yeah. It was just so nice to hear. Well, here's the thing. Like you hear it a lot with actors, right? Talking about how fantastic the set was and how giving everybody was. And maybe it's all genuine and legitimate. I don't know. But this felt real as far as how they still remembered that set mm-hmm. and that shoot. Like it was very, they for, just for seems, 20 years they later. They just seemed very emotional about it. And yeah. especially Kate. And she was talking about how there was this one moment, she called it like the school of rock moment where all of them were there in Cameron's office and they were just kind of Messing around to see what the vibe would be like, I think, initially. And Kate was saying, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was just so fun. She's like, I really think that on my deathbed, that will be a scene that will play in my head because it was just so magical. Yeah. And I think she's being absolutely truthful. I think so, too. I think this movie is really sincere. Yeah. And she was so young when she was, what, 19? Yeah. To hear all of their recollections of it, so vivid, and it was really impactful for them. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. Yeah. I really loved seeing a lot of that stuff, having loved the movie for so long. And that side of it, I never really had looked into. So it was really satisfying for me to see. I was emotional watching it. So I left some of these for you. Thank you. Because... I was going to, you knew I was going to take all of them. This first one I definitely gave to you. You did. You left this one for me, but you know how much I liked this. My favorite moment of the movie is the party scene where Russell eventually jumps into the pool from the roof. But before then, he's yelling, I am a golden god! course then he changes it the whole crowd too they're at this house party of teenagers yes and they're all cheering him on because they're so excited that a rock star is at the house they are so he tells william to tell rolling stone his last words are and you can tell rolling stone magazine that my last words were I'm on drugs (laughs) (laughs) but then he's like "Whoa, whoa 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 I need to switch that He's like, I dig music. And everybody's like, I like uh, a slow clap. And then he's like, I'm on drugs. <laughs> and, everyone's like, and then he jumps into the pool. It's an amazingly oh. fun and awesome scene. And supposedly that happened. That happened. With uh, the not Allman Greg Allman, band. but uh, Dwayne Allman. Yes. Yeah. It was off the roof of a hotel. Off of a hotel. Yes. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So next up, the ramp scene. It was funny. They talked about this in that 20th anniversary. They said it was like its its own movie. Yeah. What did they? I can't remember what they called it. They said the ramp scene, a a short film. A short film. Yes. And it's just so well done. It just feels like you're sitting outside a concert waiting to get in. I've been to that arena, too, in San Diego. Yeah. Oh, it's in San Diego? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. But, you know, William's trying to get backstage. He meets Penny in the Band-Aids after he gets rejected from getting backstage because he's not on the list. Their first meeting. Yep. 
Then up rolls Stillwater and their bus. They go down to the door. After some interaction and maybe a little butt kissing by William, he gets in with Stillwater and the Band-Aids. Right. Well, they appreciate the fact that he knows so much about their band, like specifics about their song, yep. Fever Dog. He's into the music. They call him yeah. the enemy. But yes. Cameron talked about this, too. He's like, people understood when they saw what I was bringing, like my notebook and my audio recorder and the type of stuff that I was writing down and I was talking about, that they weren't going to get a crap piece in Rolling Stone. They were going to get something that cared about the music. Yeah, he wasn't just there for the girls and right. the partying. You know, he actually cared he about loved the, music. the music. You could and tell he cared too. about writing and he being did. a journalist. Yeah, you can tell that he loved all of it. Mm-hmm. Number three, the heartbreaking what kind of beer scene. <sighs> that just gave me chills just thinking about it. Yeah, it's where Penny finds out that Russell, quote unquote, sold her to Humble Pie for 50 bucks in a case of beer. William tells her this, that, hey, you don't need to be going after this guy. This is what he thinks of you. He just sold you for this. And that was in a poker game. It was in a poker a game. Of, he bet Penny uh, Lane band with managers. a bunch of bands. Yeah. And so, you know, she cries a little bit. Then she gets a stiff upper lip and she's like, what kind of beer? And then they kind of go from there. And she just has the one tear and she wipes it away and smiles. Oh, it's so good. It's one of the best scenes ever. Such a brave face. Yeah. Such a good scene. Now, my honorable mentions, hopefully these don't step on any of yours, but I love the opening credits. To me, it's so simple. Oh, where he's writing on the notepad. He's writing on the notepad, Mm -hmm. but then it's intercut with shots of eight tracks, I think, and vinyl records and the covers of iconic albums. And you're just like, wow, this is really setting the mood for this movie. Awesome. And then it goes into, I mean, what you know the movie is going to be awesome when it starts with the Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, you're, I forgot about that. It didn't go straight <laughs> into that. Next up would be the onstage Stillwater music scenes. Like, I like listening to their music. Yeah, I wish, it was good. I wish they had just made a whole record and released it just as Stillwater mm-hmm. or something else. Well, you know, now that we know who that. wrote the songs, we understand why it was yeah, so good. Absolutely. Like, when you were talking about that, I was like, oh, well, that's why I like those so yeah. much. But it, it's really good music and it's fun to listen to. And then something else we talked about, the turbulence scene on the airplane. Yeah. I just love how much truth comes out under all that pressure. Of the plane about to crash. Yep. It was, it was really well done and very well acted. It was. That's all I got. All right. So this was difficult for me to choose. But a quote from the movie that I have always loved is when Penny is talking to William. You know, they're getting to know each other. And she is telling him basically like what Band-Aids are and how it all works and everything. And she's like, I always tell the girls, never take it seriously. If you never take it seriously, you never get hurt. You never get hurt. You always have fun. And if you ever get lonely, just go to the record store and visit your friends. Hmm. And I just always loved that because music, I think for a lot of people in this world, does feel like a friend sometimes. You it know, does. It's your go-to when you're feeling down. I mean, yeah. for me, I know, like even just before we recorded this podcast, I was feeling low energy and I wanted to listen to some happy music before I started because it makes me feel better. When I was doing my write-up for this, I had some sweet 90s rap playing <laughs> and it was awesome and it kept me going. Yeah. Kept me motivated. So I've just always loved that quote. It has always stood out to me in my mind. It's a good one. And another one is when Sapphire, who's played by the amazing Faruza Balk, 
uh, towards the end of the movie and Penny and William have gone home and Sapphire is sitting and eating the food from craft services. Mm -hmm. Russell is sitting there and I don't even think it appears that they're not ones that really talked a lot, but nobody else was really there. Yeah. And I think he was asking her about Penny. And then she's kind of making comments about the new girls because new girls have come in, Mm -hmm. new band-aids. And she's like saying how they come in and none of them take birth control and they eat all the steak. (laughs) She's complaining. But then she's also saying, you know, that these girls don't even know what it is to be a fan. Yeah. She's like, to truly love some silly little piece of music or some band so much that it hurts. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have always related to that too. You know, I think that there are some people that like music, it's okay, but they don't really get into it. They they maybe don't even have a favorite band or Mm -hmm. a favorite song or something like that, where we've talked about this before. They say that there are certain people that get goosebumps when you hear music. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that don't. We're both goosebump people. They say it's genetic as well. It's interesting. There's a gene that does that. I wonder if my sister gets them. I don't know. We'll have to ask her. And then favorite moment of all time. It's pretty, I think if you've watched the movie at all, self-explanatory. But when they're on the bus, after that whole moment that you talked about with Russell, the I'm on drugs moment, they come to pick him up in the bus and things are tense Mm -hmm. at first. And Russell's still sitting there with like a towel around him and everybody's quiet. And then all of a sudden, Tiny Dancer starts to play and one of the guys starts to sing. Yeah. And then gradually, they all start to join in and sing. Mm -hmm. And then it is just a moment. And especially when Russell finally just busts out singing. Because he was the one that was really moping. He was. And all of a sudden, he's smiling and everybody's laughing and carrying on. It is the best moment. And then to top it off, William is sitting next to Penny. And he looks at her and he's just like, I have to go home. And she does the thing where she puts her hand in his face And then she trickles her fingers down and she's like, you are home. Mm -hmm. I have to go home. Count the headlights on the highway. You are home. And the best thing that I ever learned last night was that that line, you are home, was improvised by Kate Hudson. It was. Well, to be honest with you, that whole scene, Cameron said that was two sentences on the script. It basically just said, people are on the bus, they start singing Tiny Dancer. And it turned from that into a two-day shoot when they were already under pressure from the studio to move this thing along. But it was such a great feel and they had such a great vision for it. And they had to shoot everyone individually singing. Yeah. They were also talking about how awkward that was. yeah. Yeah. Billy said, he's like, everybody's a singer there except for me. Patrick said he he wasn't either. Yeah, Billy is like, eventually, I just had to let it go. And then Cameron came on the bus and was like, yes, keep doing that. I don't care what it sounds like. Just feel it and let it go. And you can totally tell that. In the you scene. can. Everybody is just letting it go. It's great. And then you're right, like the improv by Kate to yeah. do that. It's, I mean, that's a moment that won't be forgotten for a very long time. No. And she just did it. It's oh, great. It's so good. And I love the fact that 
I think that it was the Rolling Stone editor that asked Kate if she improvised that. And she was just like, yeah, I did. And you could tell she was kind of shy about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I think she knows though that that was magic. It was. Cameron's like, that's what happens when you've been shooting for two days and you do a million different things. Yeah. And eventually you just start to play with it and do your own thing, you know? Yeah. And that's probably why he does it, you know, as a director, to let them express themselves. You're going to get 99% crap, maybe, or 95% crap. 4% 4% good, and then you get 1% that's just gold. It was so good. It was. And to think that he didn't even want to cast her originally, he wanted to cast her as the sister. As the sister, yeah. Yep. But she really loved Cameron Crowe and just kept pushing for it. Yeah, she she was like, let me read for it. So my honorable mentions, I love Zoe Deschanel anyway, and her character as William's older sister. She's not in it much, but the moments that she is in it, I think are amazing. Mm-hmm. When she decides that... She's ready to leave, you know, first of all, when she goes, feck you, (laughs) that's F-E-C-K, feck, (laughs) because she she knows she can't say the actual word to her mom. And then she's like, this is a house of lies. And then she comes and she puts the record on. Oh, what record does she put on? Uh, Is it Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, there's a Simon and Garfunkel record that I know the mom is specifically referencing saying saying they're they're on drugs (laughs) it's a simon and garfunkel album and she's just like this is why i'm leaving home to be a stewardess Mm -hmm. and she just plays it and then just sits there and stares at her dead panzer (laughs) (laughs) and then like she's saying bye to william who's so he's 11 at the time and she goes and she is like one day you'll be cool (laughs) And then she's like, look under your bed. It'll set you free. And so then you see later he goes and looks under and she's left so many albums for him. And you can tell, I mean, it just totally opens up his world. I mean, that was really the stepping stone towards what he ended up doing. Yeah. So you know? awesome. who knows if he ever would have really been into music like that if she hadn't left Opened all that mine. Yeah. And then she left like little notes in. So she'd open up one and, and it's like, listen to Tommy with a candle burning and you will see your entire future. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And he, he follows her instructions. And then that's when it fades into the future where he's grown up and he's a little he's older William. Uh-huh. So wait a minute. Did any of this actually happen? That I don't know. I would love to read a Cameron Crowe autobiography to see like all the details. Yeah. You know, because he said that his sister did leave home to become a flight attendant. Yep. And he did when he went home, sadly, after Greg Allman took his tapes and he was moping at the airport and he ran into his sister, he just did. like in the movie. So sounds pretty similar to me. Pretty spot on. Spot on. Okay. Real quick, just a funny moment. So when Sapphire for Zabalk's character is running alongside the bus because she had (laughs) talked on the phone to William's mom. She had to give him the message. And so (laughs) she's running and she's yelling at William, who's like looking out the window at her, you know, and she's like, she says, I know what's going on, you know? And then she's like, see you guys in. And then it cuts off because she slams into the (laughs) wall at the arena, wherever they are, like, because she didn't see it coming. Oh, it's just so funny. (laughs) It is hilarious. And then speaking of talking on the phone with William's mom, like she does a lot of calling and ends up talking to a lot of other people. Yeah. But one of those conversations is with Russell Hammond. And it's so great because he's like laughing it off. But then she gets real serious with him. And you can tell that he is like affected by yeah. it. Like he gets mommed real quick. Like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes. But then she like is tearing him up. But then she's like. 
you can do good things. Go forward yeah. and be, be whatever. I it's wish like I don't, him I don't have that whole quote, but yeah, it's so good. It's almost like the mom talk that he probably never got. Yeah. And then just one more little moment is when Russell and Penny quote unquote meet for the first time, although we find out that they actually have spent a lot of time together. Yes. But William's introducing the two of them as if they had never met and they're shaking hands and, you know, Russell's like, do I know you? And music is playing and Kate just plays that so beautifully because she just, it's all in their eyes. It's all in the way that they're looking at each other. And she's like rubbing her arm against her face and just, oh, and she laughs and- Oh, it's so good. And William's just watching like, hmm. do you two know each other? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I could talk about this movie forever. Well, we covered it well. Not to I say we won't so. ever watch it again. I still feel like I left some stuff out, but it is what it is. We could have a, a small episode where we just talk about our five favorite things again about more five favorite things. <laughs> five more favorite things. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be like how they released the unedited version. Is that what they Unnamed, called it? wasn't it? Untitled. Untitled, yes. Untitled. That's actually the version we just watched. It though, is. Where it's like extended scenes because there were a lot of scenes in there. I was like, that's not in the original. That's not in the original. And then we realized that the movie we had was like two hours and 30 minutes long or something. I was like, that movie is not typically that long. Billy Crudup also had no clue that that was even released. He was like, "Uh, I haven't watched this with my son. And that's the version we're watching. (laughs) That was great, too, seeing that Kate had just shown Ryder, her son, when he was 12. Yeah. Almost famous for the first time. And she was saying how it really holds up and that it was inspiring to him. And he loved it. And, of course, for him, he could really relate because his dad is the lead singer of the Black Crows. and, And he and his mom, you know... that whole thing. But Billy was about to introduce his son to the movie as well. Yeah. And they, they were cool. giving Billy a hard time because he didn't even know that there was <laughs> no idea. an extended version. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was a lot of fun. And I thank you for letting me cover this. Well, thank you for letting me watch it with you and getting to experience it. Of course. So now we're on to one of or I guess now we're on to your favorite movie ever. It is. Thank you for letting me cover it. <laughs> Because I know this is not the easiest movie to cover. This movie would not be considered part of our cozy club. This is not in the cozy club. And at the time that I watched it, which was when it came out, I saw it in the theater. It just really challenged my viewpoints and really made me think, which a lot of movies didn't make me do that. You know? Yeah. Watching it back now, it's a little different. Some of it I'm not on the same page with. You know, but you really, I think you've probably moved past some of that angsty feeling. Perhaps. Or perhaps I've just given up. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So this is the 1999 movie Fight Club. Yes. So this was directed by David Fincher. It was written by, well, there's a book. I didn't know there was a book until we watched whatever it was that we watched. I need to give that book a read. I'm surprised you haven't read it. I considered it many times and then I would just forget. Yeah. (laughs) But it was written by Chuck Palahniuk and Jim Ools did the the screenplay of it. And I'm going to say this, like normally we have a pretty quick description of these movies. Yeah. But this one, I wasn't sure what to leave out. So it's going to be a little longer. It's a little complicated. It is. You know, it's it's not an easy movie to follow. Yeah. 
You have to pay attention. You do. So I understand why your description is a little lengthy. And sorry if you've seen it, but uh, I'm going to go through it anyways. Do it. So we have our nameless narrator, and we're going to call him Jack because I think that's accepted from a naming standpoint because he calls himself Jack a few times, even though that's not his name. He's got insomnia. To treat this insomnia, he starts to attend support groups for people with cancer and things like that to try to get rid of this insomnia. It's because of the emotional release, right? Yes. So it starts helping him because of that emotional release where he can cry. And then he can sleep. And he can also see that like other people have problems that are worse than his. So it's actually effective for him. But the big thing is that he can cry. So he's actually doing well. He can sleep again. And then he keeps seeing this one person that eventually he meets. Her name is Marla Singer. She's another quote unquote tourist is what he's termed her. And the fact that she's not sick, she's just going to these sessions for similar reasons to his. Mm -hmm. But it, it makes it to where it's not working for him anymore. Now, his life is continuing. He goes on a business trip. On one of these business trips, he meets this eccentric soap salesman named Tyler Durden. They have a brief conversation that's very interesting for Jack on the plane, and he heads home. When he gets home, you see that his apartment has exploded. <laughs> All the contents of his IKEA apartment are now destroyed. He's not quite sure what to do, so he gives Tyler Durden a call. Because he has his business card. He's got right? his business card because, you know, Tyler sells soap, gave him his business card. And he's like, hey, you want to go grab a drink? So they go to the bar, grab a drink, and eventually it gets to where Jack asks Tyler if he can stay with him. He says, yes, but I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And that's when the real fun begins in this movie. Mm -hmm. So they start fighting each other regularly just for fun, but like legit fights where they're punching each other in the face and other body parts regularly. Is it just because of... The adrenaline rush, it just felt good to a release to like get that. It is so scary to think about being punched <laughs> in the face until you've been punched in the face. It hurts, but it's not like the end of the world. Like people are so scared to get rocked in the face that it makes you not want to ever experience that. And to not ever cause any kind of disturbance. And or... to not, yes, exactly. Right. To avoid that at all costs. Yes. So it's really like the purpose of the fighting, it's not just to fight. After they form, well, let's go back a little bit. They start fighting each other and other men get curious about like what's going on. Yeah, they're watching them yeah. fight in the parking lot. And they're like, uh, can I be next? So they form a fight club, which they start doing underneath the bar that they actually met at. And there's all these rules for Fight Club. I'm not going to go right. through them all. Well, but you have to at least say the first rule. The first rule of Fight Club. You do not talk about Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. <laughs> Which is also the second rule. You yeah. do not talk about Fight Club. <laughs> second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule is, uh, I don't remember, but one of them is if it's your first time at Fight Club, you have to fight. So the purpose for all this fighting is not just to fight, like you were saying. It's not just to punch somebody. These men are fighting against everything their lives have become, and they're fighting against their fears. That's really what's at the basis of all of it. Okay. So it's kind of like therapy. It is like therapy through punching someone yeah. in the face. <laughs> Different kind of therapy. Now, Tyler keeps escalating Fight Club into this larger mission to destroy the world. Is it to destroy the world or to destroy big corporations? To destroy like the structure of the world. You're right. It's like corporations and just things that people think they need. You know, there's a whole section where he's like, you're not the clothes you buy. You're not 
the things you own. Yet he wears cool clothes. And that's And he's that's very funny. stylish. Yeah, he's super stylish. Everybody wanted to buy stuff that he was wearing and look like that. You know, right. So yeah, it, and they call it out at a couple of the things I watched. Well, and also, I don't know if this is maybe a better discussion for later, but mm-hmm. he's so like anti- I was a little confused by this, among many things I was confused by with this movie. But there's a point where he finds this one guy who, I don't know if he was the store clerk. He worked at a gas station or something. Yeah, he worked at the gas station, yeah. And he basically asks him, like... What do you want to do with your life? Or what would you be doing if you weren't here right now? Right, and he tells him he wanted to be a veterinarian. Yeah. And he's, like, threatening him violently with a gun. And he's, like scaring the crap out of him and he's like if you haven't gone back to veterinarian school in what 30 days or something i will find you or yeah because he keeps his he keeps his license yeah i'm keeping your license i thought that was interesting though because it's like he's encouraging him to have a career have a to accomplish goals right i think that's what he's encouraging him not to settle for what it is that he has he wants him to go for what it is that he wants i'm not sure exactly how that ties into blowing stuff up but right. it's part of his message. That was something that felt a little bit off from everything else I was hearing him say. Yeah. Like, I get it. If it's just like its own little snip, I understand yes. the message. Yes. But within all of it, it's kind of... It's just like, reject society. You don't need money and things. But hey, go you need to school a good job. To, to do this career that you want to do. Stop blowing my movie up. Hey, I'm just... Stop Project Mayheming my movie. How dare you? <laughs> Don't think about this. Oh, you should think about it. I appreciate your thoughts on it. Thanks. Hey, listen, I have only watched this movie one other time. Really? And I did not have the deep thoughts about it as I did this time because we were covering for the podcast. So I really... Paid attention. Paid attention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. This is a point in the podcast where if you have not seen this movie... And you don't want to be spoiled. And you don't want to be spoiled, this is a big spoiler. Huge. It will ruin it for you. It will. So we'll give you a second to turn it off. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. So (laughs) Jack comes to the realization that when he goes to sleep, he is Tyler Durden. He's got, you know, a multiple personality disorder, whatever it is. He's both people. When do we see him actually realize that he's Tyler? That's not until like the end, right? No, it's in the hotel room. In the hotel, towards the end. Yes. Oh, yes. It's, I would say, a little bit further than three quarters of the way through the movie. But it's when Brad has his hair shaved. Yes. Or his head shaved, sorry. And they're talking in that hotel room. That's really when the realization happens. Although, when I first watched it, I still didn't believe it. Yeah, but when you watch it, like, it was funny to watch it again, now knowing yeah, and seeing all the things, yep. you know? I would love to hear from anyone who figured it out the first time watching it. Like, I when, you, you, when you figured it out, if you figured it out before the big reveal. I'm a little better now at, like, reading ahead yes. in movies, mm-hmm. whereas for a very long period of time, I did not. Well, that was also a leading edge kind of movie. There weren't a lot of movies out there like that at the time that were big, big twists. Right. And so, like, I should have really trusted the movie at that point when he said that's essentially what's going on here. But I didn't believe it until I saw Edward Norton go down the stairs and Brad not be there. Mm, Yeah. That's when I'm like, oh, wow, he's not really there. I didn't believe it. I was like, no, they're trying to trick me. Anyways, though, so... He finds that, of course, he's struggled with a personality disorder, Mm -hmm. but he's also been working to intensify Fight Club himself and 
everything that they're working on in what they've termed Project Mayhem. He uncovers the plot to destroy credit card buildings to wipe the slate clean for everybody. And then we go to the end of the movie. Built an army. He did build an army. There's a bunch of guys in his house that all look the same. They all have shaved heads. They all same clothes, wearing, same same shoes. Yeah. You know all that kind of stuff. And they're all the people that make everything happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the attendants that are doing that job. It's like everything that could get them the access that they need. Those are the people that are in Project Mayhem. And then you would see Edward Norton's character asking them questions about it. And they were like, no, we're not supposed to ask questions, but you're not. Yeah. No like, questions about Project Mayhem or that, whatever. He didn't realize at that point that he was the he same was person. He was the one that was running yes. it. Yeah. So he'd go to a bar and he was asking them, you know, about a fight club or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. And they're calling him, sir. Sir, are you testing me right now? Like he had been there. And then it, that's when he realizes it in like Florida or something like that, where he's just like, when was I here? He's like, you were just here two days ago. Yeah. So it, it, it's hard it, to explain. It is. Like, difficult. I feel like that's it's just a movie that you have to watch to really get. Yeah. Just how, I don't know, perplexing it is. Right. And I feel like I've just absolutely glossed over the surface. Oh, for but sure. it's like my longest description ever for this <laughs> podcast. We haven't even talked about who's in the movie. We haven't. So this is starring Edward Norton as the narrator. That's how he's credited. We've called him Jack. It's so funny. We watched that whole movie and I didn't even think about the fact that I didn't know his name. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it either until I watched a special that said, no, this was a long time ago. He's only credited as the narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, who is the leader of Fight Club. You have Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer. She's so good. She was really good in that. And she's, of course, the love interest of both of both. them. <laughs> Meatloaf plays Bob Paulson. So good. Uh, oh, it's so funny. Like, except I can't help it. Every time I see him, I'm just like, and I would do anything <laughs> for love. I'm like in seventh grade again at a birthday party. That song meant a lot to me. Me too. I oh. loved that song. And that video oh. it really makes me feel something. Ditto. Let's listen to it right now. Right now? Still hits. Oh, oh, and here we go to playing Angel Face. Speaking of things that make you feel something, Jordan Catalano. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jared Leto played Angel Face. He did. He didn't have very many lines, but he, he sure was pretty. He was just there to be pretty yep. for a little while. For a little while, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Zach Grenier as Richard Chesler, who is the narrator's boss. See, I Ooh. would say Grenier. Grenier, really? Like oh, because Adrian of, uh, Grenier Adrian, because of yeah. Entourage. <gasps> can we cover Entourage? We can cover Entourage. We could. Uh, yeah, that is absolutely one we could cover. Yeah. <gasps> oh, we have to cover that. We will. Sorry. My favorite part about the boss is he is a accurate depiction of some bosses. Yeah. You know, like it's people you meet in the corporate world. And he's like, could I get the icon in cornflower blue? He's like, yeah, you can. Funny story. The other day, Pete works from home right now because of... COVID and I sometimes hear his work calls and sometimes they're more relaxed because it's just with like his guys that work for him and they can joke around a little bit, you know, and I heard Pete say, can we get that icon in cornflower blue? 
<laughs> and I was like, why is he saying that? But it definitely felt like a quote. Yeah. And then we watched Fight Club like two days later. And I was like, oh, oh that makes more sense. <laughs> like three of the people on the call got it. <laughs> Good on him. All right. Some fun facts about this movie. Tell me. So the writer, Chuck Palahniuk, was inspired to write this after he went on a camping trip. And he went and complained to some neighboring campers that their music was too loud. He did this and a brawl broke out. Oh. Apparently his face was all smashed up and he went back to the office and none of his coworkers acknowledged that he looked any different. They said nothing. Oh, wow. That's not like my reality. If I had gone into the office and I had my face beat in, people would be like, whoa, what is the matter with your face? What happened? (laughs) You're right. Like, where did this guy work that they had no... Maybe uh, they just had no personal relationships. I guess so, yeah. It's funny, though, because both Fincher and Norton compared this to The Graduate from 1967, which I've never watched. But it's like a coming-of-age film. Yeah. They said it's like a coming-of-age film for people in their 30s. Except it's like... The 90s inverse of The Graduate, where the narrator does not have a world of possibilities in front of him. And that's the problem. He's stuck in his life and he can't get out. He's in this job that, you know, gives him enough money. Feels like he's not going anywhere. Like, this is it. Yeah. And this is it for the next 60 years. Like, I can see where that's. Yeah. That's discouraging. (laughs) You feel like you're stuck in like this little bubble of this is all I'm ever going to do. Right. And he didn't have, he didn't at least seem to have anyone in his life that would help make his life more exciting. Right. Until he met Tyler. Until he met Tyler. Which he created in his mind. Mm -hmm. But he was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. An interesting note. So Brad Pitt apparently made seven times the salary of his co-stars. He was paid $17.5 million for this movie where... Edward Norton made like two and a half million dollars. What? That is crazy. But they wanted a big name attached to the movie. (sighs) And Brad wanted something that was super interesting because he had just done Meet Joe Black, which I think from a financial standpoint was not a hit. Oh, I love that movie, though. So That's why I said from a financial standpoint. But that was after, I mean, Legends of the Fall. Yeah. yeah, He was a big name. Or still is a big name. Absolutely. 17.5. Like, I like if I'm doing a movie, like 2.5 million is enough. You're like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, and I know like Ed Norton hadn't done a whole lot at that point. Yeah. Oh, they, I, they, they, they picked him because of his role in there was a something. Courtroom drama. It was a courtroom drama, so I never watched it, of course. Yeah, but. me either. <laughs> Sorry, we're not fans of courtroom dramas around no, here. No, we are not. Also of note, Russell Crowe was who one of the producers wanted for the role mm. of Tyler Durden. Now, the other producer, who was like the more senior producer, wanted Brad Pitt. So that's how Brad ended up getting the role. But it would have been interesting to see Russell Crowe in that role. Though, I don't know that anybody but Brad could have done that right. No, but I mean, he just has his own way of phrasing things. I could listen to him talk all day long. Now, listen, I mean, he also is extremely wonderful to look at. Yeah. But I love the way he he speaks. His phrasing Mm -hmm. is just so him. There's nobody like him. I do think Russell Crowe would have done a great job. Yeah. But it just would have been something different. Completely different. Yeah. On that note, both Sean Penn and Matt Damon were considered for the role of Jack or the narrator. Hmm. But Fincher wanted Edward Norton. Yeah. 
I feel like unless Matt Damon was more scrawny then, I feel like Ed Norton was a better He, fit. he probably Sean was. Sean Penn seems like he would have been too old for that. Not at that time. You think This is 20 99. years ago. Well, yeah, but. 22 years ago. I feel like Sean Penn is a lot older than them. He probably is. But also. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't know. Also, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, they had them do diets and workouts, specifically the inverse of each other, where Tyler got Mm. more muscular and better looking through the movie, and Uh. Edward Norton slash the narrator Jack got scrawnier and less healthy looking through the whole movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I don't know what, you know, Matt Damon was smaller then, so I don't know what he would have looked like losing weight through the whole thing, too. Yeah, well, because he got pretty beefy for a while there. Also, Edward Norton just came off American History X, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but he was strapped in American History X. No. Have you never seen that? I've never even heard of that. Oh, wow. Is that a TV show? No, no. It is a movie that we will have to cover. Huh. All right. Next, reportedly, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was considered for the role of Marla. Oh, interesting. She met with Fincher, and Fincher says she had no clue who he was. <laughs> and like this is after he had done Seven and the game, and he said he felt like the biggest loser Aww. after meeting with her. I was like, oh, you poor guy. <laughs> also considered were Winona Ryder, Janine Garofalo. Oh, either one of those would have been good, too. They could have been interesting. Janine said the script made her uncomfortable, which I get. Yeah. And then also Reese Witherspoon, who Fincher decided was too young, and she said no to it anyways. I can't imagine Reese in that. Although, it would have been interesting to see her in something so... Dirty and like Opposite of anything she's ever done. Yeah, grimy is a perfect way of describing that movie. On the Marla front, her makeup was done by the makeup artist with the makeup artist's left hand. She was a right-handed person. Yeah. Because Helena thought Marla would never be worried about what her makeup looked like and wouldn't apply it properly. So she wanted it on there all messy. That's good. So Brad Pitt had a cap on one of his front teeth. And for the movie, he let them take the cap off so he'd have a big chipped tooth. I was wondering about that because yeah. he didn't have a chipped tooth throughout the whole movie, right? It was right. like towards the end, you could see it. It's towards the end, all of a sudden, he had a chipped tooth. Yep. I was noticing it. I was like, oh, what happened to his tooth? And then the studio, of course, paid to have it reattached. But it's like, hey, man, you're getting $17.5 million. You can't cover this yourself. <laughs> right. I don't know. But I was thinking, is that real or not? Because it looked real. Yeah. But I was like, oh, but they can do anything. There were rumors at the time that he actually chipped it. Like he had a normal tooth and let them chip it for the movie. But not necessarily true. But I mean, he did have a fully formed tooth. That would be some devotion. It would be. (laughs) On that front too, Edward Norton broke his thumb (laughs) punching Brad Pitt's abs. That's how solid they were. (laughs) <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, especially in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Um, I'm allowed to talk about Brad Pitt's abs listen, in this movie, he's, right? He's got some shredded up abs. It's just so obvious. You know, it's like that scene where he doesn't have a shirt on is like the epitome of Fight Club, I feel. It is, yeah. You know. It's like the letter Z like carved into his abs. Yeah. <laughs> Six times you're like, what in the world? Never seen abs like that. Other than when I looked in the mirror the other day. But <laughs> and he looks so dirty. He is always dirty and like sweaty. Yes. Reportedly, there is a Starbucks coffee cup in nearly 
every scene. I thought that was interesting, and it, it made me actually want to watch it again. But Try to find them all. Yeah. Fincher says it's every scene, but what I've seen from many different sources is it's almost every scene. Mm. Now, he also had a can of haggis in every scene, reportedly, in his movie The Game. Oh. Because his, like, director of photography or somebody had the last name of Haggis, so he wanted a can of Haggis in every scene. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) The game is a really good movie. I love the game. Yeah. I don't think we've ever watched that together. Oh, we probably haven't. We should. We should. We talked about Meatloaf earlier. Yeah. That suit that he wore with, you know, his... His Fake boobs. Fake boobs is filled with bird seed. Yeah, it's a Which, good idea, though. It is, yeah. It was crazy to hear it made that. Made everything like, look huh. real, like, saggy and authentic. It did, yeah. <laughs> and it was funny to, like, see him, like, testing it out. And you're like, oh, it actually moves well. Like, you guys really know what you're doing. <laughs> Do you remember that scene where, actually, what I was talking about when he's like, can I get the icon in cornflower blue? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I showed this to my man here earlier. He liked it. And then they, they're like, didn't you? And they cut over to Edward Norton, and he just goes... And he's got like blood all in his mouth. He just grins. Yes. That was actually taken accidentally between takes. They happened to be rolling camera and Fincher asked Edward Norton to see how much blood was in his mouth. And he did that. And it's just like, oh, well, that's perfect. Keep it. <laughs> that's funny. I was a little confused about that scene. I it, will say it, it was a little weird, but kind of cool. <laughs> So there's also a scene where they're at the house that's on Paper Street, which is Tyler Durden's house that everybody ends up coming to. Mm-hmm. And they're hitting golf balls. Mm-hmm. And That's a fun scene. It is. So David Fincher reportedly got Brad and Edward Norton a little wrecked and just had them go out there and play around and said, all right, go hit golf balls. And like they're really banging them off cars. And like Brad's like, oh, you know, like because he almost gets hit with it. So it was funny to read that that's pretty legitimate. And by getting wrecked, you mean they got drunk. They got drunk. They were drinking. <laughs> Not everybody knows what get wrecked Sorry, means. Get wrecked means. In our world, get yes. wrecked means have, a little have drunk. some drinks. Yes. Now, before we are officially introduced to Tyler Durden, he's actually been on screen five times. Yes. There are four film snips where it's a 124th frame snippet of Tyler. Just a blip. Yes. He's near the photocopier when Jack is at work. He's in the hallway at the doctor's office when Jack goes to the doctor. He's at the support group when Jack goes to the support group. And he's outside the support group when Marla is leaving. So basically saying like he's He's there, there. you know, on the edge. Yeah. Get ready. And then he's in a video when Jack is at one of the hotels that he stays at because he's. Oh, yeah. He goes out for like car companies to determine if something needs to be recalled. He's on one of those trips. It's like one of those introduction videos at a hotel, and Tyler Durden's actually in one of those videos. Yeah, we had to go back and yeah, pause it. Because we missed it. Because you see just rows of, it looks like, you know, waiters or yeah. something at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's Brad Pitt there on the right. Front and center on the right. Well, I guess front and right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something I found out. Brad's reaction, or Tyler's reaction, but Brad's reaction to getting punched in the ear is legitimate. Oh, really? He was supposed to not punch him in the scene, but right before filming started, Fincher goes up to Norton and is like, punch him in the ear, but really punch him in the ear. And so (laughs) Brad Pitt's reaction to it is legitimate. Oh, (laughs) was Brad fine with that? I guess so. I mean, he he didn't, he looked fine with it, but... (laughs) 
It was. I wonder if the agreement was like, listen, you're we really might do this going to get roughed up mm-hmm. on this set. Yeah, because it was funny. We heard them talking in some of the, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Just like, well, we're just going to wing it and then we'll end up here. Yeah. You know, like the, the thing where there's a scene where Brad like repeatedly punches a dude in the leg to win a fight. That was the scene where I heard him say that. Just like, well, we'll just wing it and we'll end up over here, which is what Fincher wanted him, you know, in the spot in the end. So it's like they just kind of. It ad-lib. seems like. Fincher was very open to collaboration from the actors. It seems like Ed and Brad had a lot of input. They did. And they both contributed to the writing of the movie. Right. Because you have, you know, Oles, who is listed as the screenwriter, but Brad helped, Ed helped. And there was a dude that worked on Seven with Fincher who actually helped as well, but he had to go uncredited. That guy's name is actually used because he can't be credited in the movie at all. So the the cops that are there when Jack is being held, their names are actually that guy's name. Oh, right. I remember seeing that now. Now, finally, Jared Leto's character is Angel Face. Yes, because he's such an angel face. He is such an angel face. Part of his story arc is to take the beating that Jack gives to him. But there is a scene there that was cut because it was so gruesome, the studio wouldn't allow it. They had this thing where like his face was split open (gasps) down the middle, but they shot it. So the cast and crew (laughs) would avoid him those days that they were shooting. Or probably, I think it was just one day because they did so much makeup work and it was so appalling. They couldn't be around him (laughs) because his face was just split wide open via makeup. Wow. It's crazy. It was interesting to see someone who is so pretty. Like, he's just a very good-looking guy who has this these beautiful eyes. And, yeah. you know, but then to see his face just the way it was in Destroyed, the movie, yeah. like, all swollen up on one side where he looked totally different. Yeah. But you knew it was him because of his hair, pretty right. much, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I can't imagine that. So I'm glad they didn't do that. It was hard enough watching that scene on his, like the way it originally was. Yeah, like when he's beating him, you're just like, uh, could you stop, please? So tell me, what are your favorite moments from this movie? Obviously, it's going to have to do with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love the wardrobe. I love the thought that went into the way he wore his clothes, not just the clothes he's wearing for, you know, 1999, but like the way he wore the clothes, like... The way his button-up shirt is unbuttoned at the bottom. Yeah. So his abs are showing. It's like the button above his belly button is buttoned. Right. And then it's just split it's open. S- spread out. <laughs> and then his pants are always like real down low on his butt. <laughs> his robe with the coffee mugs all over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Like, I just... His wardrobe and his hair and his, you know, the sunglasses, like his whole look... It was spot on. It's so great. It's it's very entertaining to me, actually, because the movie is very dark. So that's like the light of the movie for me is to see like what Brad Pitt's wearing. <laughs> that's a good call out, though. Like it is a really dark movie. So it is when we finished it. We were like, should, should we cover, cover this? this? It's nostalgic for me, not necessarily in a positive standpoint. At times, some of it's positive. It's so it's so difficult. It was a tough decision because obviously we want this to be a place that is comforting and good feeling and all of that. 
But we also want to cover all nostalgia. Yeah. And we just feel like we need to be able to cover things that we loved as well as what other people love, you know? So, right. But we, we feel like a lot of people probably love Fight Club. I mean, Fight Club's a huge movie. But it was a tough decision. But that's why we're just not going to really go into any of the super dark stuff. Number two for me is when Marla, when she's there with Tyler, and they're talking in the, you know, in the kitchen and at Jack, with Edward, Jack, yeah. Edward Nor- Norton's character, Edward Norton's character is like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Why are you here? Why are you in my house? What are you doing? You know, yeah. and of course, she's just like, that's a part of the movie that it's kind of confusing because you see her get mad at him. You know, and she's, it was confusing, she's sure. looking at him like, what do you mean? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know, but to him, it's like, you don't know, Tyler. Why right. are you here? How in the world? I know you, you from those self-help groups, yeah. not self-help groups. Therapy groups. Yeah, I know. I know you from those therapy groups. You don't know, Tyler. Why were you, you know, you you're the one that was up there with him making all that noise, right. you know, like it. So it's very interesting to see. and. These were the beginning moments where I was wondering if Marla was real. Yeah, that's a theory that is difficult for me. Mind you, I didn't think it the first time I watched it. Watching it back, knowing that Tyler wasn't real, I started to feel like nobody was real. Yeah, you did. And you called that all out. Like, is this all fake? Which that was a theory that we came across. It's just all in his head. Yeah, it's all in his head. Like if Tyler's not real and Marla... Is potentially not real. None of it's real. But then they say that you never see... Well, you see Tyler and Marla in the same scenes, but you never... Edward Norton's character never has a conversation with both of them at the same time. And Tyler is always telling Jack... I'm, I'm doing air quotes because I have a weird, hard time calling him Jack. Yeah. Ed Norton. Well, it's not his name in the movie, but... Tyler is... Talking to him, and he's always reminding him, remember, don't mention me don't to talk her. Don't talk about me. Don't talk about me to Marla. Right. So that feels like a self-preservation thing. Like, don't let her know that you have this other personality. You have this imaginary friend or whatever you want to call it. Right, because the first time he starts to mention it, she's like, wait, what are you talking about? I want to talk about this. And it's funny, too, because there's a, a scene where there's some noises going on upstairs. With Tyler and Marla, Jack is downstairs and the phone is ringing. As soon as he answers the phone, the noises stop. And that's supposed to be like a big indicator that, oh, hey, something's going on here. Why would this noise all of a sudden just stop? That's where I'm confused, because does that mean that he's actually upstairs with Marla? Or does that mean that he's in the kitchen and none of it is real? It should have stopped a little bit before that, because he would have had to have like walked downstairs and answered the phone. Or maybe he's answering the phone upstairs in his room with Marla, and he's just picturing himself downstairs. Yeah. There's no telling. There's no science behind it. Yeah. It it can definitely blow your mind up if you really think about it too much. But I do love that whole thing. And then there's a a later thing where it's like she walks. It's almost like a stage play because like she walks in and talks to him and then she'll go out and Tyler walks in and talks to him and then he goes out and she comes back in. And he's like, tell her to leave. Like, you tell her. (laughs) Yeah. I love that part. That's a good. (laughs) That's that's a lot of fun. I like all that. I love the scene where they first, you know, after Ed Norton's character has called Tyler 
basically for help Mm -hmm. because his apartment has blown up and he's like, well, I just met this guy. He gave me his card. What else have, who else do I have to call? So he calls them and they go meet up at this bar and just their interactions at the table while they're drinking pitchers of beer. Yeah. I just think is entertaining. Plus, like I said before, I just love to listen to Brad Pitt talk and he's just talking a lot. He is. And I love the actual phone call because like, Tyler doesn't answer the first time. Yeah. Calls him back. And he's just like eating cereal or something. He's like, gosh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so Brad Pitt, because in so many of his movies, he's always eating. Is Have he? you ever noticed that? No, I've never noticed that. I feel like it's in Oceans and also in Meet Joe Black. Mm-hmm. He's always eating something. That's funny. In his scenes. Okay. But don't quote me on that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just one of those. But when in one of those, at least, he's always eating something. And of course, you know, then that leads to them going outside and having their first fight. Yes. So what are your faves? Was that hard for you to choose? It was difficult for me to choose. But good lead in because I love that first scene where they fight. Yeah. And like the the portion of it where Brad's getting himself pumped up, be like, okay, I'm going to get hit. And he's like, where do you want me to hit you? Surprise me. You know, yeah, that, that, whole, that whole interaction, like, and then the earshot has always been so memorable for me. The fact that it felt so real and uh, to read that it is reported. It was actually real. real. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Cause it's like, ah, like that's exactly what it would feel like to get hit in the ear. Yeah. You, you rarely get punched in the ear. I don't think I've ever been punched in the ear. I did have a friend who got his head closed in a door and oh. it split his ear. Ooh. So he kind of got punched in the ear with a door and he said it hurt a lot. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's that? his name was Tyler, actually. <sighs> and um, my best friend, Josh, did that to him by accident. <gasps> Whoops. We did something to Josh and Tyler and I were running away from him and we were jumping in a truck and as Tyler was getting into the door, Josh hit the door and it closed on his head oh. and split his ear open at the Ouch. top. Whoops. Okay. Can Sorry. I have a little sidebar? Yeah. Because that reminds me of the time that I accidentally knocked my sister out. <gasps> you knocked your sister out? How? Because <laughs> <laughs> we were running around the house. This was... I mean, I feel like I was a teenager and she was an adult. She was in her 20s (laughs) and we were running around the house. My mom was vacuuming. I don't I don't know what started it, but I ran into the bathroom and then she ran in after me and then I started to run out. Like, I don't know what we were doing in the bathroom. Yeah. And I started to run out and I (laughs) took the door and like. Threw it, you know, like throwing it open. Right. <laughs> it. She ran right into it. <laughs> as I, like the force of her running forward and me running, me throwing the door back. Knocked her out cold. Out cold? She was on the floor out. Like I remember <laughs> seeing her and then running to get my mom. <laughs> and we were like smacking her face to wake her up. Oh my gosh, I wish so that was on video. Bad. Oh. I I felt so bad, but that is I so it, great. Total, it was so unintentional. I did not mean to do that or had 
I had no idea that would even happen. <laughs> Nothing like a little head trauma between sisters. <laughs> and then speaking of the car thing, one time I one time I was with my friends in Orlando, but before I lived in Orlando, we were just visiting Orlando and we were driving down International Drive, which is like a big touristy area and lots of people and we were young. I mean, I was like 19 and we were like yelling out the window at people. Because it's just what, that's what, what you did. What you do. It was so exciting, you know. This was before social media. So mm-hmm. it's like how you how you had to meet people. <laughs> I was yelling <laughs> at them on the street. Hey! And I stuck I had my head out the back window, like yelling to somebody. Not not yelling at them in a mean way, you know, yeah. but just like, hey, you know, whatever it was. And my friend fun yelling. My yes, it was fun. And my friend was embarrassed by me. And so she started rolling the window up. And <gasps> she didn't realize that my head <laughs> was out the window. Oh my god. So you could die. it was like instantly. Well, it was it was like where my temples are. <gasps> Right. It wasn't my neck. It was where my temples were, though. And it was like all of a sudden it was like, like my head was at the top. And I was like, ah, I was like, and I think I like grabbed, you know, I like, I don't know if I got to the button first or she did to pull it down. I was fine, luckily. Yes. But it was hilarious. I have a story. (laughs) I have a story about that, too. Okay. Because that is terrifying. I have a smaller scale. Self-inflicted story. Okay. I was in the car, probably driving back or riding back from church with my family. And we had electric windows in this one car and they were kind of new to me. Yeah. And so it was just like everybody, we we didn't have air conditioning though. So it was like when it was hot out, you had your windows open. I had my hand on the window and I was just playing around like up, down. I was kind of like pulling on the window with my hand. Yes. And then I was just like... I went like real close and then it like put pressure on my hand and I freaked out and forgot which direction was up and which direction was down and then pushed up on him and like crunched my fingers. I'm like, I was like freaking out and I couldn't, I couldn't move my hand. Oh my God. And I eventually figured out that down was down after I pressed it up once more and crunched my hand even more. And then I pulled it down and I look and I I really thought I broke my hand. That is the worst. It was terrifying. And I was just like, don't ever do that again, you dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I could piggyback on that. What you got? Oh, God. So we're talking about finger smashing stories. Okay. I was young here, so I don't have a lot of memories of it. I was with my family at the beach in St. George Island. St. George Island in Florida. And we were getting in the car to go, I don't know, to the grocery store or to get to the restaurant or to a restaurant. It was late though. It was dark. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what we were doing, but we were going and it, we were rushing because of it was storming and my finger got smashed in our door. In the door? Yes. That is the worst. It was feeling. so traumatizing. I don't know if they took, I have, the, I need to ask my mom. I have this memory. Like they took me to like some kind of emergency uh-huh. to see if my finger was broken, but it wasn't broken. Do you remember my story about getting smashed in the, my, my finger smashed in the door? <gasps> that was at our wedding venue. At our wedding venue. Oh. So we showed up for the final walkthrough of our wedding venue. Yes. And it was a very blustery day. 
It was. And, and our friends were visiting because I had, had gone to try on wedding dresses. It was the final thing. Yeah. We go. I drop everybody off and I pull the car down. I get out of the car, open the door, and I go to close it and my hand slips and I go to grab the door because I'm about to close it just as the wind kicks up and it, I mean, suction cup closes on my finger. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I open so the door weird. and I look at my finger and it is like a millimeter wide. And I'm like, what have I done? Oh my gosh. So I tried to like be real tough. And like you shake did, it off. but I could tell you were in pain. So I walked up to you guys and I'm like, hey, hey everybody. <laughs> I made it through the whole session and I didn't break my finger. I thought I had broken it because I actually went, went and got it, it checked. checked out, yeah, yeah, I had it scanned. It came back. It was just like seriously bruised. But wow, did that hurt. You were a trooper that day. Because, I mean, we, you know. Because it bled. I, I had, think to, that I had to put Courtney a band-aid went, on it. The, the, the girl at the venue yeah. went and got you some ice, I feel like. No, she didn't get me ice. Oh. She got me a band-aid because it was bleeding. Oh, okay. I just remember giving you something. Or maybe maybe it was ice. I don't remember. I was in so much pain. Delirious. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know what happened that day. <laughs> Poor guy. Wow. Okay, well, segue. small Sidebar. divergence into all of that. <laughs> Number two on a favorite for me for this movie is at the end where the Pixies song is playing, Where Is My Mind? Yeah. As Marla and Jack are holding hands and the buildings outside of the window are exploding <laughs> and, you know, the, the credit card debt of the world is evaporating or at least the USA. I don't know who was there, but I, I just love the feel of that. It's just like, oh, it's very cinematic. It is. And it's you like, know, <laughs> even though, and, and they did it, not that it makes it okay, but in the movie, like they made sure nobody was there. Yes. They weren't hurting anyone. They did clear the buildings out. They had the people that knew if the buildings were clear or not, mm-hmm. and they kept them clear. So they didn't kill anybody. But yeah, it, it's definitely a moment that, is after a bunch of dark stuff, but then it's yes. like a rough part of the movie. It, but it does feel like he's made a breakthrough. Yeah, it's a really good. It's a. It's a. But solid not a not ending. a good breakthrough. That part of the movie is so challenging. I don't even want to talk about. No, it. No, we don't need to talk about yes. it. Yes, I just but, like I like the song that's played at the end. That's it. Right. All, all I'm saying is that scene where you see the two of them standing and the the buildings falling and the music is playing. Is a very cinematic, yeah. memorable moment. It's a it's a good moment. It is, yeah. Doesn't mean that the things leading up to it are good, but that is definitely a moment yeah. in time that if you watch that movie, you remember that moment. You do. Finally, for me, the scene where it's like, pick a random fight with a stranger and lose <laughs> has always cracked me up. And I love the part. Where the priest is walking by yeah. and the guy just sprays him with his hose. And the priest comes back, he's like, Hey, uh, I don't know if you know, you just sprayed me. And he sprays him in the face again. He's like, What? I didn't hear you. That part to me is just really comical. And then I found out today that I've always noticed a little camera shake and never understood why the camera was shaking a little bit there. Oh. But, you know, it's just like, whatever. The guy that was running the camera could not stop laughing. <laughs> And was shaking the camera what? accidentally while he filmed it. But the take was so good that they kept it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I love that. It's so good. So that's it for Fight Club. 
Wow. We've covered it. Thank you for allowing me to cover this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome, sir. (laughs) All right. We're wrapping it up, but we need to know songs. So since these movies were from both 99 and 2000, that's where we're going to pick our our choice of songs. Yes. So let me hear your choice from 1999. Listen, this may be divisive, okay? (laughs) Because it's on the charts, we looked at the Billboard Top 100 charts for the year, okay? So some of them may have been released a year earlier or whatever, but we're looking at the charts, okay? So don't don't come at us with your specificities. Don't Wait, be judging me is either. Is that a word? All right? Don't specificities. Come. Specificities. All right. 1999, Sugar Ray, <laughs> Every Morning. That was actually... I love that song. ...really surprising to me. Did you just dude me? Dude, listen. Did I dude you? You I just, probably did. You just said dude. I can't remember three seconds back it's like right your now. It's sister. Fine. Dude. Dude. The song feels good. It does feel good. And there's not a lot of choices for me in that time. Yeah, you were having a hard time. But it just surprised me because I just always thought you would think that he was a D-Hay. No, I don't mind him. He's fine. Not a D-Hay, but a D-Bay. A D-Bay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's a new thing. A D bag. Stop being such a D bag. <laughs> but don't I be a douchebag, okay? If that song came on the radio, I enjoyed it, and I probably pulled that song from Napster. Oh, Napster! Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> All right, let's hear what you got. Ninety nine for me. I chose Miami by Will Smith. Welcome to Miami. I'm a Dina. Listen, I lived in Florida In Orlando for Many years and took Many trips to Miami Yeah, And every time you go to Miami You have to listen to Will Smith's Miami But what makes me laugh so much Is that we would listen to it But we went down there mistakenly During spring break time Uh At one point And we had these people staying next to us. And we were, you know, still young then. So it was like everything didn't piss us off. But it was still like annoying when it was 3 a.m. And our next door neighbors at our hotel were coming in from the clubs and cranking up Will Smith's Miami because they were so excited. They were in Miami and they were just singing it. And you would just hear them be like, Miami, like so loud. And you're it, it was annoying at the time, but it makes me laugh now. Wasn't this during the peak of some boy bands? Yeah, like, that's so why surprised. I was in Miami. Yeah, but why is Will Smith your favorite song here when you got... I mean, this is peak cream. Listen, it's like you with Alice in Chains. It's obvious. I'm not just going to okay. come on here and pick every NSYNC song. Fair enough. I just wanted you to call it out in case somebody else called you out. Well, I'm sure they would call me out. But listen, I love a lot of music. And I just think that that's too obvious for me to be like, tearing up my heart by NSYNC for 1999. Like, no. Tearing up my heart. Is that a song? What? Okay, I didn't know that song. No, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you know that song. <laughs> Give me 2000. The year Almost Famous came out. 
All right, this is a CD that I had. Yes. And I enjoyed the entire CD. Good. But my favorite track was My Name Is by Eminem. Hi. My name is. What? My name is. Who? My name is Slim Shady. I love that album. I do too. Or CD, should I say? Is it an album still? Yeah, they're all albums. All right. Okay, hit me up with your favorite from 2000. All right. This actually was chosen. I mean, I love this song, but it was chosen more because of what happened around this song in the year 2000. But it is I Want to Know by Joe. Oh. at this story a little bit but in December of 2000 I had a fun night hanging out with Joe who took my friend Kimberly and me out to the Billboard Awards after parties in Las Vegas and he was actually kind of in a sad mood at first that night because he he was nominated and he didn't win oh did he know he wasn't going to win I don't think so, because he was in a bad mood. I think if he had known going in, he probably wouldn't have been as in... Why was he in a bad mood then, if he didn't know if he was going to win or lose? Because he lost. Oh, he he had already lost. Yeah, it was after the awards. after. I'm sorry. After parties. Yeah, we just had a really fun night that night. We experienced going to like Jive Records after party and then Cisco's after party of Thong Song fame, which is also someone that... I almost chose for the year 2000. That was a good song. Yeah. What a hit. He opened for NSYNC, so I saw him live a lot. But yeah, I just had to choose Joe because actually I love his entire album and the album he released after that. Why are you laughing? You celebrate his entire catalog. What is that from? It's from Office Space, and they're talking about Michael Bolton. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like two of the efficiency experts. And they're like, do you like Michael Bolton? He's like, yeah, yeah, he's OK. And then the one guy's like, I celebrate his entire <laughs> That's right. catalog. I remember that. <laughs> I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. It was just a really surreal, super fun night that I will never forget as long as I live. And so that is why the year 2000 for me is dedicated to Joe Thomas. My honorable mention, though, does go to NSYNC. It's gonna be May. So funny when they put that song out. I'm sure they never, ever thought that every year on May 1st, that's what they would be hearing. (laughs) Is that a thing? What? I don't know that thing. You don't see, like, the memes that go around? No, but I want to look for them now. Oh, every year. It's like you just see, mostly you see Justin, May 1st. Oh, May 1st, okay. Or you see it like April 31st, like tomorrow, it's gonna be May. As long as it's not May 4th. No, that's dedicated to Star Wars. As it should be. (laughs) All right, well, I think that's all we have time for. It is. It's a good episode. It was a lot of fun. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for allowing us to indulge ourselves. Yes. Come follow us on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. 
our Facebook group, We Don't Want to Grow Up, exclamation point. You can email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail. Send us your photos. You can also come support our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash we don't want to grow up. We will soon be putting out our first bonus episode, which will be recapping the pilot episode of Freaks and Geeks. Can't wait. And don't forget about our cozy club where you call in or write us. Let us know the things that you're doing to be cozy, to feel the warm and fuzzies, to take care of yourself and your mental health. The things you did as a kid that made you feel cozy. You can leave us a DM on Instagram or leave a voicemail there. You can call in at 423-665-9024. I promise we will not answer it. It goes straight to voicemail, but you could leave us a message and you could be featured on the podcast. Ooh. Ooh, you'll be famous. Be famous. Almost famous. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's it. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.